Hello and welcome to The Real Folk Reviews. I'm Samuel and I first saw Honky Tonk Women about 15 years ago. And I'm Georgie and I first watched it five minutes ago. Okay, three, two, one, let's let's jam. So, Georgie, what is the most you have ever lost gambling? Oh, probably five matches. Matches? I, yeah, like, you know, and you don't play with real money, just like what you have lying around. I'm I am genuinely very uncomfortable about gambling with actual money. Like, I've done it, yeah, just with friends playing poker and stuff, just with chips on the table. And that, I'm actually not bad. But as soon as you put real stakes in, I'm like, no. Yeah, even if they're trivial, it changes the equation hugely, doesn't it? Yeah, it's weird. But no, I'm not good at gambling at all if if there's actual money. (laughs) But yeah, the characters in our episode today are certainly having a good time with their gambling. Well, sort of. Yep. They enjoy it, at least, it seems. Well, they keep going back to it, and isn't that, in the end, the same thing? What, as enjoying? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or with gambling. Well known that everyone <laughs> who uh, who gambles repeatedly is just having a great time. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this episode begins with a new character walking into a peaceful pharmacy shop yes in the evening. yes and it's um really helpful to the viewer that we figure out that the character is walking by them singling out different parts of her body sequentially that show the movement of her walking so you see her feet then you see her thighs then you see her neck i think and then you see her pert bottom in motion just to make us really really certain she's walking and is a woman. Yeah, you'd definitely be in uh, no doubt of that at the end of this scene, for, <laughs> even if for some reason you were to begin with. Yeah. Um, I uh, I kind of thought we were going to... Oh, yeah, I know. This, I, this I don't want this to be you know like a broken record here because I know I did a similar thing talking about asteroid No, things. no, but it's... Yeah, I, I feel like it would... It would she be has lazy very, not to address it. She has very pointy buttocks, though. She, yeah, she does. It's <laughs> She has a very pointy outfit in general. Yes. Like, I guess because it's all quite thick leather, it looks like. Or leather or vinyl or something. It's not... You can't really tell from the drawing. But, yeah. So, obviously, we had the same problem with, with Katarina that they just introduced in this gross, objectifying way with the camera work. Hmm. And I kind of have a similar point actually to make about this than I did with Katarina, which is that the way the kind of written action on the page of this scene goes and the way it's shot are very much at odds with each other. With Katarina, we have, you know, she is vulnerable woman type and then she doesn't act like that at all during the episode. And yep. again, with, with Faye, you know, this is a shot which makes her vulnerable and then but she's just somebody who immediately takes control of the situation by her actions or at least has a good go at it (laughs) yeah her character that we see 
you know it, it's it's almost like her sexual presence is like inconsequential really so even though she is objectified by the other characters as well as by the shots we're given she doesn't really use her her wiles in the way you might expect other characters to do in movies in that stereotypical way so it's a bit of an interesting contradiction it is um i imagine it will come as absolutely no surprise to you that the anime industry is very male dominated Mm -hmm. you know in terms of production pretty much across the board and cowboy bebop isn't really an exception you know most of the the key roles are are filled by men and you know most of the animators will be male but the show is mostly written by women oh Um, interesting so yeah the um so that actually kind of makes sense then the visuals are saying what the men want to and the script is what the women are thinking yeah maybe i mean mean, to really boil it down to very little that that actually makes perfect sense with my perception yeah no it's it's something that i kind of hadn't put together until i started looking at it critically for this i was like oh that makes so much sense yeah it makes perfect sense yeah the agency that the women thus far show in their narratives yeah is really at odds with some of the ways they're presented to us visually yeah yes. so we're introduced to Faye, and i do find it quite amusing that they show us her pulling the uh the magazine for her machine gun out of that bag of groceries <laughs> where did she get the gun itself it's just in her <laughs> other hand which she wasn't carrying it when she walked in yeah you don't want to know where they're keeping it that's why they had the lingering shots of her of her body it trying to show just how well concealed this gun is you maybe don't know where it maybe is. that's why the the buttocks are pointy because there's just like, it's just <laughs> it's just filled with weapons <laughs> Uh, yeah and um she starts amiably chatting with this guy you know flirting a little bit trying to look nonchalant long enough to turn around and fire a machine gun at and ruin that poor man's windows yeah i don't think he's ever getting compensated for uh (laughs) all the property damage that he suffers in this scene And, uh, yeah, but yeah, she does a very good job at shooting down these men, but then all of a sudden there are lots more men uh, surrounding her with guns, and yeah, she's like, oh, well, I tried. Yeah, but she does say the first rule in combat is to get the first attack, which will kind of become a theme of the episode going onwards, or, or will it? Anyway, we then see... Faye and Gordon. Yeah, the kingpin. Yeah, who um I like his roulette ship. It's such a great location, isn't it? His, <laughs> his casino. Well, the where, like it's the physical casino. appearance from the outside is you've got this hologram roulette wheel that uh, rotates around the the ship itself so it's like a circle with the ship at its center. So it, it does look quite cool and it's it's doing a good job at marketing. Yeah, and the whole it's it's not just an arresting visual from the outside as well. No, but the inside, yeah, it, it it would make me think of like Las Vegas hotels, which presumably is exactly what it's trying to do. That it's got waterfalls and yeah, you know and these massive trees and everything within the ship. And this huge and this 
these huge tiered spaces along the sides as well so that you can look over and see and see that you're a part of this huge space but then there's lots of nice little details as well like the ashtray yep that eats the cigarette which is yeah shaped like a like a roulette table yeah his his room is kind of more still gaudy but slightly more tastefully gaudy it's a bit more like a palace and a bit less like a gambling palace <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah i think i'm kind of disappointed by him as a villain in this episode he doesn't exude a great deal of charisma but his settings are way more interesting than he himself yeah he doesn't is. really do anything he just sits in his chair and sort of tells a few people to do things but actually he doesn't do very much at all also why does he do this why does he recruit Faye for this job? Yeah, I don't know that either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so for context. <laughs> um, yeah, so Faye has some sort of debt to Gordon. Uh, and in order to pay off this debt, he wants her to pose as a croupier, a dealer, and to get some mysterious chip off a stranger who will come to her table. Um, and apparently that will pay off her debt but it's his casino? Yeah. If you're saying by it's casino, why doesn't he just send somebody who actually works for him yeah. to do this job? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like that would be the obvious way to go. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, as as deals go, it's 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 quite an easy one. You know, I, I wouldn't turn it down if I was her. Uh, gets you out of his creepy clutches as well. Yeah. So then we see Spike and Jet are on the ship to do some gambling of their own. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like Spike was sort of dragged along because Jet tells him he's not allowed to gamble anyway because he'll give himself away and he'll... Well, he, he's not allowed to win too much. Yeah, because he sort of, he says, your eyes are too good for this, yeah. I think is what it was in the subtitles. Yeah, so he maybe can count cards is the implication yeah. or something like that. Or he'll notice if uh, a cheat is pulled, which indeed he does. Jet gives a quote from Goethe, which is, give if you want to receive. I think in the... Is that how you say um, his name? I didn't know that's how you said it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Goethe. Okay. It's, uh, cool, I've just learned that. Thanks very much. Uh, so Jet says a quote from Goaty, which it, it looks like Goeth. It does look like Goeth. Which, <laughs> anyway, which again, so we've kind of got two competing philosophies uh, at play in this episode: strike first if you want to win, and give if you want to receive. Yeah, and we'll have to kind of observe as we go forward how those do or don't get paid off. And yeah, the next thing is basically Spike going to Faye's table and Faye. He does a bit of Robin Hooding on the way and helps some average folks out, helps them win a bit of money. Some average folks. Do you recognise those average folks? Are they the guys who were sat in the saloon in the first episode? Yep. Hey! The same guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they really looked very different to the rest of the punters in the casino as well. Everyone else is looking quite dressed up in their finery and they are, yeah, they look like they don't belong I'm not sure how they ended up there. <laughs> I, I found it quite funny that Jet, as well, he's dressed up in his finery and then he just goes straight down and sits alone at the slot machines. <laughs> like you'd have thought if you're going to dress up like that, you'd want to play a game where you're going to interact with somebody. But nope, 
just uh, everyone else who sat at the slot machines when you get little shots of them they're sat in their posh outfits yeah. as well but yeah yeah <laughs> he just sits at the slot machines but it seems to do very well out of it we see him reappear with stacks of of money well not money yet but yeah um, chips chips yeah Comet so he seems to do well <laughs> cartoonishly large crates of of chips yeah yeah so spike goes to Faye's table and starts losing clearly realizes he's being cheated fairly early on but appears to be enjoying flirting with Faye enough to <laughs> just stay and let it happen. Yeah, they they are both playing off each other. It's similar to the dynamic you have with Katarina in Astro Blues. It could, yeah. I mean, very different um, energy compared to it, but both of these characters have some power and they're playing with it. Yeah, and there's a, there's kind of a sense of a meeting of equal minds. Yeah, and we see Faye gets a little flash on a screen with a blurry face, but it does resemble Spike. We're given the impression that she thinks Spike is the person that she's waiting for. Yes, just as this is going on, you've got this dreamlike music playing in the background, and you've got a series of brief shots of people playing. You've got rise and fall of stakes. You've got slot machines paying out lots of coins. All these images which seem to suggest the role of chance in this story and there is a fair amount of chance you've got the fact that the screen isn't very clear and the fact that spike just happens to wander up to this table but i also wonder how much of spike's actions for the moment are just him reacting to the situation and how much he's planning because it's hard to see why he would stay at the table when he knows he's being cheated for so long unless he kind of wants to invest and see where this goes. Uh, I mean, my interpretation of that would simply be that he's flirting and not giving her a chip as he leaves was also, in that sense, perhaps a ploy to get her attention for longer, maybe. But I don't know. It, it, I couldn't read anything else into it in terms of his planning. Yeah, I mean, it could... It could just be that. He does. He looks surprised as well when uh, the chip swap happens, when he crashes into the guy who looks like Spike would look if he'd been through the wash too many times. Yeah, our nameless looky-likey. Yeah. After Spike picks up the chip, he looks kind of nonplussed, but maybe a little bit too much so. Maybe like he's acting. I don't know. Yeah, you're, tr you're trying to chase ghosts here perhaps possibly possibly i don't know we'll see as uh, well yeah you'll have to have to convince me of things perhaps. i'll have to convince you of the existence of ghosts this is this is going to be a, i have to convince myself of the existence of ghosts before <laughs> it's going to be a very you. long podcast uh, yeah which probably means we should move on so uh, <laughs> so yeah Faye chases after Spike. Spike accuses her of cheating, which causes a bit of a ruckus, as you know it would. Yep. Um, and those bouncers come up and give Spike a big old clock across the face. Yes. Um, to which he barely reacts. Yeah. <laughs> like this is something that's very different in the in the Japanese and the English. Actually, in the English, he says bad idea just before punching the guy whereas in the japanese he just repeats what do you want again in kind of the same chipper tone that he oh interesting that's a very different mm, yeah it's a different read but it's kind of the same thing because we've kind of seen spike enough now to know that his mo is act very casual until the moment 
and often up to and during the moment where the fight begins so that people are kind of never quite sure how to respond to this constantly being uncannied as they're in combat with him yeah but actually i'd say visually this fight i found a little bit disappointing in saying astro blues in the fight between him and asimov there's so much fluidity and beauty to the movements from both of them in that in that fight and here we have basically a lot of bouncers standing around while spike punches them one by one (laughs) yeah yeah i can't think of anything i want to comment on with it because it was just like just punching some people because they punched me there we go dealt with that um let's run away yeah and then um faye is also running Away, I guess she just sees an opportunity to escape from this situation. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, things have gone awry. There's a bit of chaos, yeah. and she has her ship set up to go, which is a nice little. Yes. How does she get that? Like, <laughs> if she's been captured by these people and everything, how on earth does she get to ship? Well, I would assume that sh- this is just an escape strategy she has as a go-to. Because she's got it programmed into her wrist ring that she can yes. get to come. Yes, her and, her lovely um her lovely bracelet with a little chip inside that does some nice fancy gadgety techie things. Uh and and given that she's somebody who's constantly being chased for debt, it would make sense that she's she's got all these little escape strategies. Mm, yeah. Um so yeah, she tries to make a break for it and finds Spike and Jet clinging to the outside of her ship. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, because we briefly have Jet appearing with his stacks of things he's just won <laughs> sees that Spike is obviously in the midst of causing more havoc and very quickly is like, well, this is all going down the drain, isn't it? Yep, let's go get that woman. Yep. Yeah. And, and Faye looks very shocked to see them on the outside of her ship. Well, you would be, wouldn't you? Yeah. And uh, somebody else who wasn't quite expecting his day to go this way is uh, Sweaty Spike. Fake Spike or Sweaty Spike? Fake Spike, Fake Spike. Fake yeah. Spike. <laughs> who just gets offed so that we are aware that this is not like the stray dog strut and <laughs> the stakes are definitely life and death in this episode. Yes, fake Spike dies and then we go back to the ship with Faye, yeah, handcuffed to a chair complaining like, I brought you home to your ship and you've just handcuffed me to a chair. <laughs> Which yeah. I think is reasonable, you know, she she helped them get back to, yeah. Well, I, yeah. So this is a point in the episode where I find it difficult to marry the scene before with what's happened because you'd have thought that if there were two people on the outside of a spaceship, yeah, dri- the, yeah, the person in the driver's seat would have all the advantages. Yes, and as she yeah speeds into space, you would have thought that these two humanoids that require oxygen might also struggle to survive said environment. Yeah, I would assume she'd have to land to prevent them from dying yeah and then what does she just like let them into her tiny ship it doesn't seem like she would do that yeah she's just all of a sudden yeah on their ship it doesn't really have any follow through (laughs) no yeah and then um shortly after that jet and spike find out that she is in fact some very pricey bounty that would be beneficial so yeah so they go back to her and uh, yeah, have a well, basically have a little taunt at her, just to say we're going to take you to the police. <laughs> yeah, she plays it in both of those situations like she's completely helpless, like she's just whinging and making up these stories. But 
after both of those little interactions she has with them, she has something up her sleeve which she uses the second she's gone. The first time she calls Gordon again on her magic bangle. Yeah. Um, and uh, the second time she's made herself look vulnerable and pathetic enough that Jet is prepared to let her have a hand free, at which point she uses her lipstick lockpick to escape from the commode. But then it's difficult to pass that behavior with her just telling spike about the chip she's like if you'd just given me the chip it all would have been fine which would seem to indicate she still thinks that he was supposed to give her the chip and hasn't you know so yeah yeah. as as you can probably tell by now i i have quite a lot of problems with this episode on a narrative level Uh this is the first one where i felt like there's just too much that needs to be explained and isn't for the time that they have. Yes, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, there's... Um, yeah, I'm actually, with this one, I'm kind of struggling to pick it apart because I felt like I couldn't grab onto very much. Yeah. You know, that the strands didn't weave together in a way that made me feel interested or you know want to follow those threads like yes have you know some dangling threads can be great because then you can do the what ifs which are great fun but yeah this one just sort of felt like a dangling collection of threads yeah yeah and it's um i could i could probably be convinced either way that either this is because you know spike and Faye are always five moves ahead of each other and we're just struggling to keep up or that it's just confused Mm, Yeah. yeah But getting back to actually the narrative, not long after Faye frees herself from the handcuffs on the ship, they get contacted by Gordon and they have a little bit of banter, have a bit of, yeah, back and forth. Like, oh, you've got a chip. Oh, no, but we know it's got, you know, it's expensive. And oh, have you got the girl? No. Oh, and who's going to win? Oh, whose penis is bigger? Um, So there's a bit of that for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) um and then yeah they decide to make a deal to exchange the chip for a buttload of oolong oolong whatever the oolongs yeah yes what the currency is called so yeah this is something that smacks of early installment for me because this probably wouldn't have struck you as weird because you don't really know jet very well yet but I mean, Jet mentions for the first time in this episode that he worked for the ISSP. Yeah, which I'm guessing is police. Yes, it's the space police, basically. Yeah. Um, and as we go on in the series, I don't want to give too much away, but it seems like that he's too generally honest and straight-laced a person to just be like, well, I have no idea what's on this chip or what this criminal is planning to use it for. Let's sell it to him. Like that... <laughs> It seems like a remarkably corrupt act. I know he's not a cop anymore, but... I did think the bit when he was on the comms with Gordon, you know, relaying the knowledge he had about the chip. um, Yeah, I found that a bit incongruous from what I thus far know about Jet anyway. So I do do have inklings of what you mean. Yeah, but... For better or for worse, as far as narrative is concerned, they agree to hand the chip over. Spike jumps into his red spacewalking suit. Yeah, which is modelled on the uh, the spacesuit from 2001 that Dave uses. Oh, uh, 
Right. So it's not modelled on Britney Spears' outfit from the um, <laughs> I did it, oops, I did it again video. Wow, okay. Uh, I, I'm i not aware of that outfit because yeah, I, when I was that age, I basically hid from all pop music because it was what people at school liked and I didn't <laughs> like people at school. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, we won't go there. <laughs> but I was very into Britney this Spears. This is the at that childhood age. trauma reviews. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, I feel like I want to level the playing field here by sharing as well. But then we're going to end up in a hole we don't want to go down. So we're just going to straight on through. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, in in the oops, my I mother did it. never loved me. Oh right. Um, no, she she's a lovely person who loves me very much. Hi, okay, mum, if you're listening. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> so yes, um, Brittany wears a uh, a skin tight onesie that's red pleather in okay. the Oops, I Did It Again music video, which is also on a spaceship now I'm thinking about it, I th- or in like a spacey location. But yes, yeah, so, um, so Spike jumps into his Brittany astronaut suit and yeah, goes over to Gordon's ship to exchange the chip. Which very quickly the deal goes sour. Um, what a surprise! The bad guy is bad. Oh, just before he so th- there was a specific reason that I uh, I suggested that you watch last one in dub and this one in sub. Oh yeah, which is okie dokie. Oh yeah, that I <laughs> that was actually something that really occurred to me. Like when we get to the conversation about subtitles, that's the thing yeah. I'm going to be pointing out. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the Englishisms. There's a lot of Englishisms anyway because language does that. Um, but yeah, the okie dokie. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's wonderful because like he's been such a cool, laid back character for so much of it so far, and then it's just unintentionally the dorkiest moment. That <laughs> 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 puts a big smile on my face. Um, I thought that the bad guys did not have good communication when it came to that swap though because it seemed to me as though gordon was telling his lackey inside the ship you know we're gonna blow up their ship as soon as he's back on it anyway whereas the guy up on top who's giving him the suitcase of money just takes it upon himself to shoot him without that yeah but there's another another moment here of um of spike knowing more than he lets on because you can see his eyes go to look at the gravity ring around the ship, which gets in the path of the bullets and saves his life. And again, that's another moment of, insofar as this episode has a theme, it's a, kind of about how much is luck something that happens to you and how much is it something that you control. And you could easily see that scene as just Spike only happens to live because this arm comes across and blocks the bullets of the guy shooting at him. But you can quite clearly see him looking at the arm as it's coming towards him and kind of being ready to incorporate that into his plan should something go awry and he, yeah, and he of course climbs up it and uses it as a to get away from the guy and then jump towards him and kick him into space yes and get the chip back as well from wherever it was floating oh yeah yeah he does that and hopefully the money except except oh no uh Faye comes up with the red tail uh that's the name of her ship <laughs> yeah I do really like the farewell wave between Spike and Faye. It is nice to have that little moment of respect for each other in 
okay, you've you've won this time. You've managed to get away with the money. Yes. Um, yeah. And at the very end, when Spike and Jet decide to try their luck at a different casino today, and we just see them stood outside, and then in a very Disney-style star-shooting way... We yeah, we just have this flash that shoots across the sky, and Jet looks up at it in a slightly longing, you know, cheeky way with a little smirk on his face. And we, I assume, we are supposed to think, "Oh, there goes Faye," but it's such a weird little moment. Like that felt like it belonged in a completely different um, episode. I don't know. It could it could be that, or it could just be. Because Jet seems to be the person in the episode who's most of the opinion that just things are going to happen to you. Yeah. Um, you know, Spike accepts his defeat, but he Jet's the one who's looking into his dreams to predict his future. Mm. And um, the wishing on a shooting star thing is very much the, the yeah. person who's a believer in luck. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, that moment, it, it really was, you know, that, that Pinocchio thing of when you wish upon a star and it just little flash in the corner it was yeah it was an odd moment yeah and then there's the the contrast of spike hearing somebody yelling the dealer's cheating at a different casino (laughs) so you've got one person idealistically dreaming into the sky and the other being like ah the world stays the same (laughs) going back just a couple of minutes to Faye flying off and scattering the missiles so that they fly back at gordon's ship and blow him up and we don't have to worry about that guy anymore yes um but i Having whinged about the hand-to-hand combat in this episode, I thought the ship flying with the missiles kind of curling around it and they kind of slaloming around it. Even though it was only a few seconds, it looked really cool. Yeah, I mean, well, pretty much everything only lasts a few seconds in this show anyway, when they have packed so much action into 20 minutes. Yes, this is this is very true. Yeah. So back in when we recorded Asteroid Blues, you said that uh, something you were hoping to see at some point was a heist episode. Yeah. And... While I'm not sure it would be accurate to call this a heist episode per se, it definitely is playing with the tropes of a heist. Yes, it it has elements of it. I think this felt less like a polished plan, though, which is sort of the thing that I've come to associate with a heist. Yeah. This feels a lot more chaotic. It's just, yeah, you know, it it is a lot of chance encounters. As much as there are characters... Uh, manipulating situations to make them work for for them. Yeah, it didn't f- have that smooth, seamless, you know, it might seem chaotic now and then at the end it all comes together when you see the overarching plan. I, c- I couldn't see that at all. But then, I, I mean, does it have more of that heist for you? Um, it It's definitely not a heist in the sense of everybody coming together, planning something, and then dealing with the things that goes wrong. It kind of skips the first step and just goes to the dealing with the things that go wrong. Yeah. Um, but I think I've I've kind of talked myself round on maybe there is a kind of coherent idea, at least, of, you know, life is full of chances, but also those chances are what you make of them, and you can't just let them sit by and slip by oh, and happen to you. Very wise. Well, there you go. If His you mother to... didn't love him, but he grew up wise. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Maybe if you want to give, you must first receive uh, neglect. Give wisdom, you want to... Let's just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So I noticed 
Spike decides to swallow a lot of random items in this episode. Oh, yes. Well, I say lots of. I think it only happens twice, but very in very quick succession. And very memorably. Yeah, he swallows a cigarette right at the beginning. Yeah. You know, just basically tells him off for smoking. Bat dad. uh, You know, bat dad. I keep wanting to say... There's... (laughs) There's an Instagram account by this guy called Bat Dad Blake, and I keep thinking uh, about it when I'm trying to say Jet Black Space Dad. If no one knows what Bat Dad Blake is, look it up. It's just this middle-aged guy who wears a cheap Batman mask all the time and does stupid impressions whilst doing videos with his kids. It's yeah, ridiculous. It is, it is fun. I like, I like so um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, um, yeah. Jet Black Space Dad tells Spike to stop smoking in the elevator, so he just swallows it in a very petulant way. And then, not long later, we see him swallowing the chip, uh, his last remaining chip, but which we now know has been swapped for the microchip. Mm. And then he regurgitates it later in the episode, which causes me to question... Was he planning to save the cigarette for later as well? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he re- yeah, and when he wants the chip back, it reappears very casually and easily, as though he's got a just you know a purse somewhere in the back of his mouth that he just keeps things for later. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you, I suppose, Jet mentions that he kind of has this future dream you know he he thinks he sees the future and then it kind of comes true and he references it a bit a couple times in the episode and in every episode i've seen so far there is that trope of telling the future yeah and i was wondering if that's something that sticks around in other episodes or if i'm picking up on themes that are just coincidental you're not picking up on themes that are coincidental cool not going to say more than that but you're yeah all right then pay attention to that yes um <laughs> cool i am noticing things i'm supposed to notice that's fine uh, something else that stuck around actually through all three of these first episodes is in each of them there's been a music piece which plays at the beginning and at the end of the episode in in asteroid blues it was the kind of harmonica piece while they're out in space in stray dog strut you have the music from big shot playing at the beginning of the end is kind of bookends to the chase of Hakim and here you have the music that plays as Spike and Jet are entering the casino it's the same music that plays as they go back into the casino again at the end of the episode is it actually the same casino they go back to I no it's, it it's a different, different casino but it's okay. the same music right ah no I hadn't noticed that with the music yeah bookends and it's kind of in a way you could say about all three episodes that things have changed but things have stayed the same so we are going to have a bit of a chat about the difference between the dubbed version and the subtitled version. Um, the first episode I watched, Asteroid Blues, I did that with the subtitles in the original Japanese because I sort of thought that would be the most authentic way to watch it, really. Um, but I know you have some thoughts about that, Sam. Uh, well, uh, before I give my thoughts, I do want to hear, now that you've watched a couple in the sub and one in the dub. What are your impressions of the differences between the two? Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly easier to watch in your native language. I did feel like there were things that I missed 
um, when I was watching subtitles because, you know, you, for obvious reasons, you're looking at the words more than perhaps paying attention to the action. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to comment. I think if I had watched more subtitled things in in foreign languages i would be able to comment more or if i or indeed if i knew more japanese or more about japanese culture then i might be able to have more observations but like tonality is so different between the two languages so it would make sense for them to sound very different yeah but it's hard to say which of the tones is more authentic uh i mean yeah, they're probably both authentic to the performers yeah. doing, you know, those performances. I think it's there are people who feel very strongly that you ought to watch in the Japanese and you ought to watch the subtitles. And I'm definitely not one of those people. But that being said, I'm not capable of being objective about which I like more because I'm much more used to the sub than I am to the dub. Uh, oh, okay. So yeah, I've I'm watching both for the show uh, for every episode, and this is, I think, my own, only my second time watching the dub. But some things that kind of struck me immediately are in the dub. There's an awful lot more non-verbal noise made. Oh, okay. Say so when people are fighting in the dub, there's a lot more kind of than there is than there is in the sub. It tends to be more just kind of in breaths. And similar with people yelling and having, you know, responses to things, it's so much so much more in the dub, which I think has mixed effects. I think it makes things funnier when they're meant to be funny. Like, I found Stray Dog Strut funnier in the dub, and I think part of that was just, like, the yell, say, that Hakim and the scientists give as they're heading towards the police station is just much funnier in the, <laughs> in the dub because they're, you know, going for it a bit more and... Uh, in it's sometimes also unintentionally funny like <laughs> way back in asteroid blues just before asimov gets shot by katarina and he's in his most bloody eyed up phase and he's doing his panted breathing in the sub that's just left silent like you don't hear anything at all from him you just hear katarina's thoughts uh, whereas in the dub he's doing like this <laughs> <gasps> and it's it's really quite funny um, okay that would really undermine the tone <laughs> of, that, of that scene yeah i i found it that way anyway but the jokes i think land a bit better in the dub because you can be a lot more idiomatic in your own language i think the sub they're translating a lot more literally yeah so that the dad joke that make that jet makes about counting your chickens or should i say your ducks only works in english yes yeah that and that has occurred to me with the subtitles that yeah there are things that because the translation it will be imperfect yeah it means that i'm losing focus on the visuals already because i'm looking at the subtitles but then i'm also losing some of the meaning of the dialogue because it doesn't translate very well um, yeah. but i was i i thought that the translations would be better actually um, in the subtitled version so it depends what you mean by better i can't speak japanese either so i don't know but it definitely feels like they're hewing a lot closer to what's said in the original japanese but it's yeah i mean it, it is a it's a toss-up isn't it when you're translating i mean that's a whole other debate you could have but there's always going to be a bit of a barrier unless you speak both languages natively 
you're going to have some translation issues. There's going to be a bit of adjustment required for meaning to come across. So that might mean compromising on the poetry or it might mean compromising on the literal translation or whatever else. So I think watching both is the only way <laughs> to get as much meaning out of it as, as I could. So I don't know. I, I might do that for future ones. We'll see. Yeah, if you want to give it a go, absolutely. So just a bit of production history on the uh, the sub versus the dub. So the original Japanese voice cast, when they were recording their lines, they only had line drawings to work with. They didn't have the footage of the episodes. But they all recorded in the same studio together. Whereas with the dub cast, they were all recording in separate studio boxes, but they would have had the finished video to work with. Ah, okay. That's interesting because, yeah, oh, see, see, that's sort of, that's going to help and hinder almost equally across both groups in different ways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you're an actor. How do you think it would be acting when you can't interact with the other actors you're character is interacting with the characters yeah i mean it's like if i was to pick which scenario do i prefer to try and you know get a better performance i think i would probably pick having um my fellow cast members with me over having the full visuals just because yeah voice acting is already quite you're already removing a lot of the stimulus that makes you know if you had an actor on a stage with their physical presentation as well as their voice there's so much more that they can produce character wise Mm. um and you're you know you're responding to the environment you're in physically and all those things so when you're just performing with a voice you have to exaggerate everything else to make that energy come through and you know and i think a lot of people will have seen those clips of actors in sound booths doing these recordings and they're so animated with their arms and and i'm sat here recording and i'm waving my arms around to try and yeah input the energy in a way that will then infuse the whole thing and if you've got actors with you in the room as well then you play off each other with that energy and you give it back to each other whereas if you're just in a box by yourself looking at a screen you're already having to work so hard and you don't have anyone to bounce back with so you're yeah you're going to lose a lot of that interaction so yeah I, I would certainly prefer it that way that's just an actor's perspective though I think from a an editor's perspective or you know a director trying to put the two together it's certainly going to be easier if you've got actors who can see the mouths moving and know how it's going to fit together. And yeah, to um, so the actors can produce something that's going to be easier to edit, perhaps, but then maybe the energy of the voices won't be there as much. Yeah, I mean, you still, you know, they'll still have kind of timestamps and stuff there they're playing to. And I guess if the art isn't finished yet, you know, you can you can mould the art a bit around the performance that's come out yeah um, yeah and and more sophisticated animation that we have now is you know it's very normal now to have the way an actor moves inform the animation of the character so even if you have the bones of the animation created it will then be affected by the actor's facial expressions when they are recording their voice yeah so they use one to feed back into the other but that's not the same with with these sorts of shows one thing i can tell you is in Japan, they take voice acting very, very seriously. 
the word for a Japanese voice actor is a seiyu, and it can just mean voice actor, but it's also translated as voice excellence or voice gentleness. And correct me if I'm wrong, because you're an actor, so you'll have more understanding of this, but in the West, usually voice acting is considered part of what you do as an actor, but it's not... Yeah, you're more likely to voice act as well as act, as opposed to literally just be a voice actor. I mean, there there will be plenty of actors who are voice actors, but yeah, you tend to be in a Venn diagram rather than standalone voice actor is that what you mean yeah whereas in japan it's very much you go to a specific college to train you to be a voice actor oh yeah i'm not familiar with that being something you can do in the uk no no and from what i looked up it doesn't appear to be a thing you can do in the us either you can take a, a minor in several acting courses in voice acting but you can't have it as your major as far as i could make yeah out. yeah because you definitely if you were to do a drama school course in the uk then you'll definitely do modules on it hmm. but i'm not familiar with courses that are dedicated just to voice acting so that is interesting and we're not we're not talking just courses here we're talking like entire colleges dedicated yeah. just to voice acting yeah yeah um That is interesting. And it's partly people will pick what animes to watch based on the voice actors that are in it in Japan, whereas that really Mm. doesn't seem to be the case. So, you know, people really like their voice actors here, but it's not it's not to the same extent of them being a driving force behind the show. And there's I mean, there's sort of a crossover in Bollywood movies. My understanding is that almost everything is dubbed later. And there are actors who are known for their how good they are at doing that. You know, they're, they're so good at dubbing their own voices back again in a recording studio um, and really perfectly timing it with their mouths moving on the screen. And historically, I believe there are instances of beautiful performers taking the voices of other people. Yeah, I haven't seen that many Bollywood films, but in all the ones I've seen, the singing is never done by the lead. Yeah. It's always dubbed by somebody else. Yeah, um, yeah, very, very common. And when, when I watch this with Pashan, who is from India, she's always just like, that's just normal. And I'm like, what? This is so jarring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Different cultures have very different experiences of, of that. Ah, interesting. Uh, so uh, yeah, back to J- Japanese. Yeah, well, I, I was just going to cut back actually for a second to the US dub because this is generally considered to be one of the first really good anime dubs and if you agree with that either you Georgie or you the listener a lot of the credit for that should go to Mary Elizabeth McGlynn who was the vocal director for the English dub and all the actors speak really highly of her they talk about her making sure that if somebody had been in the studio before, she'd give them access to as much of the other person's audio as they could, so they had something to bounce off of. They talk about her taking the time to help the characters feel out their parts um, and having huge attention to detail. There's one anecdote Steve Bloom tells, who is the actor who plays Spike, that when Spike had a cigarette in his mouth, Bloom was using a pencil, and McGlynn put a cigarette in his mouth because the pencil doesn't have the same weight and it doesn't make the same sound so she was like no it needs to sound exactly right it needs to be a real cigarette Hmm, that is a lot of attention i would say compared to other dubbed things that i've seen it does feel more natural yeah it it does feel more like the voices make sense to me and i think that also probably is partly because of the scripting you know if something's badly dubbed it's hard to watch isn't it Yeah, yeah yeah so yeah the fact that that it doesn't put me off 
is quite impressive, I think. So it's time to rank. So far, you have Stray Dog Strut at number one and Asteroid Blues at number two. Yep. Where does this go? Third. Yeah. Yeah, it's going at the bottom for me. I agree. There's lots of stuff that I like in it, but it doesn't really hang together that well as a whole. So, yeah, that was that was pretty easy. I imagine yep. this is going to get a lot harder <laughs> as we as we go on. But for your ranking, Sam, sorry, so you actually, you have Asteroid Blues first, Oh, yeah, you? yeah, so and I have then... As- Asteroid Blues, then Stray Dog Strut, then this. So, yeah, mine, so far, <laughs> so far mine have got worse every episode, which uh, if that <laughs> carried on, we'd be in for here. some dark territory. But, yeah, no, that's that definitely not what's going to happen. Yes, yeah, so only thing to talk about left is the preview. Yes, the preview for this episode, oh, there was a lot going on. There was it was hard to take in actually. There was a lot of faces. There was sort of some quite more mature looking women or one woman. I'm not sure if there was more than one. Uh, and oh my word, my yeah, I I struggled to take it in. What else happened in the preview that I just saw? Uh, so it kind of there's a lot of shots of just stuff happening in space, which you probably wouldn't be able to pass unless you'd seen the episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of sporadic things being flashed at you that didn't make sense together. <laughs> but it was mainly it was mainly, it was overridden by Jet basically talking about um, the news, and that that might be my <laughs> Jet Black Space Dad for this episode. You covered yours in, in the lift, but for me, just him being like, oh, all this stuff that's going on these days. You got these environmental terrorists. You know, the world's spinning out of control. Yeah. Got so much chaos in our lives. He doesn't actually say things aren't what they used to be, but he he comes close to that territory. Uh, <laughs> so, anything else you wanted to say? No. Nada. Okay. Zilch. So yeah, there is in fact nothing left to say except see you space card sharps. You space what? Card sharps. What on earth is a card sharp? You know, somebody who is good at cards to the extent of maybe cheating. I've never heard that phrase before. Okay. <sighs> Alright, fine. See you space casino goers. That, uh, that... Space croupiers. Oh, that's way better. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Last week, last well, time's ending was... Uh, very was, efficient. Yeah, pretty good. It was great. Space corgis, I done. Thought we were, I thought we were past the rough patch, but no, we've... We're back again. Yeah. Here we are. Oh. <laughs> Bye. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at realfolkreviews at gmail.com, look up our Facebook page, or find us on Reddit at u slash therealfolkreviews. Thanks for listening.